Welcome back to another season of the Lead with Data podcast. In this exciting new season, we'll be focusing on engaging with leaders in the healthcare and medical sector who are at the forefront of leveraging data. It's evident that this industry has been underserved when it comes to effectively utilizing data, facing challenges with data privacy, data sharing. However, these challenges also present numerous opportunities for the sector to harness the power of data and drive decision-making and research. I'm thrilled to announce that I'll also be joined by my co-owner, Tracy Rowe, who'll be joining me to interview some of these incredible guests. Together, we're eagerly looking forward to discovering, learning, and gaining a deeper understanding of the impacts that data analytics can have in this industry. Stay tuned for some enlightening conversations that will shed light on the potential transformation brought about by data-driven practices in the healthcare and medical sector. My guest on the show today is Tanya Graham, who is the Chief Transformation and Strategic Officer at HealthScope. With a diverse career spanning across various industries, Tanya brings a fresh perspective and wealth of opportunities for new ideas and technologies through the organisations that she's worked with. Tanya joined HealthScope at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. This presented her with the challenge of navigating an unfamiliar industry whilst operating in an environment that demanded swift responsiveness from the healthcare sector. During our conversation, Tanya shares her valuable experience highlighting the strategies implemented to address the challenges posed by the pandemic. She also emphasised the role of analytics in shaping their decision-making process and shed light on some of the initiatives that are being undertaken to help aid the recoveries that the industry has been impacted with. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for um, offering to be a guest. Um, look, as I do with all my guests, I'll get you to provide us and give us a bit of an overview of yourself, what you've been doing and where you're at currently. Sure. Um, so I'm currently the Executive General Manager of Strategic Programs for HealthScope. HealthScope are, uh, I think, the number two private hospital operator in Australia, uh, national private hospital network with around 40 hospitals. We've got 19,000 staff and then um, I think at last count about a further 16,000 VMOs or specialists who work with us. Um, yeah, so that's my role at the moment. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about your career because I know that you haven't come from the healthcare sector previously. So you've obviously, um, this is your first role in the healthcare sector. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I've had a pretty varied career. I have an interesting record of never having worked in the same industry twice. Yeah. So still maintaining that one at this stage. <laughs> but yeah, my career has been um, really varied. I started off in sort of operations space in pharmaceuticals and electronics and very much in the manufacturing area, running large production teams, um, sort of the end-to-end production process. Uh, I've had a couple of stints in consulting, both in terms of sort of critical thinking, project management, Lean Six Sigma type consulting and also supply chain consulting and then also worked across financial services, uh, energy, um, healthcare, federal government, yeah. uh, but always with, I guess, a theme of transformation that runs all the way through those kind of roles and I suppose in the last 10 to 15 years a really strong focus around technology and um, increasingly around digital and, and data as well and that whole blend of technology and transformation. 
Fantastic, fantastic. And that leads me very nicely into, you know, I suppose my very first question, which is having not worked in this sector previously, tell us a bit more about how you found the transition and what have you found most fascinating about this sector? Yeah, I think um, a few years prior, I've been discussing, having a bit of a career discussion with a couple of mentors and trying to work out a bit of a game plan as to where some really good transformation focus areas might be for the future and for my future. And I guess I'm sort of getting to the point where I want to be working in a more purposeful area and really sort of driving transformation that drove really sort of purposeful and impactful community and society type change. Yeah. Um, And so I was trying to work out where the most rewarding and impactful roles might be. And I think the two areas that we came up with were energy and health at that point both of which I've now worked in yeah, and uh, have been really, really rewarding from a number of different areas in terms of, you know, from an energy sector, the whole renewable space and um, things like microgrids in developing countries uh, and all the way through to, yeah, healthcare, which um, is obviously a very purpose and value-driven area. And I think what I've found through the different transitions is that my skill set is really transferable. So there's lots of synergies and parallels between the different industries, even though they can be quite different. Mm-hmm. One example I've used a few times in conversations with people is uh, I worked with Centre Group, who own and manage the Westfield Shopping Centre network, and then HealthScope, who obviously have a network of private hospitals. And whilst on the surface of it, you would think they were completely different, there's actually a lot of similarities between the two in terms of you know, from a shopping centre perspective, you want to get the flow of of shoppers coming through the centre and it, it then depends on where you position certain retail stores and certain services. And in a hospital, you know, it, it sounds a bit heartless, but it is essentially a production line of yeah. um, patients coming through and having their operations and procedures and then um, being able to discharge them and, and get them home as quickly as possible. And then if you think about the experience that you're trying to create, you know, in a shopping centre, you're trying to create a shopper experience. In a hospital, you're trying to create the doctor and the patient experience as well as the staff experience. And then even down to how you view, you know, the technology in those facilities, uh, the facilities management, and even thinking of them in terms of assets. There's quite a lot of synergies and parallels between the two that is also quite transferable when you're moving from from industry to industry. Um, and what I find really fascinating, I guess, about healthcare is um, the breadth and depth of the opportunity in health with respect to technology. Um, I think as a sector, we're quite behind a number of other areas. But having said that, there's the real power and pull of being very purpose and experience driven, which then lends itself to all of the opportunities around digital and digitisation and data um, and we're highly paper-based and, and manual. Very few hospitals, certainly in the private sector, have an electronic medical record or a digital medical record. So there's a lot of opportunity there, even though it can be cost prohibitive in a number of cases. But lots of opportunities to digitise and connect. And then we've got rich data sources as well that we're really not tapping into to the full potential Admittedly, the data is not as structured as in some other industries, but there's some real opportunity there to to use the data more effectively if we can, you know, get some of the interoperability challenges resolved. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably one of the most fascinating things I've found about this industry. And just like you said, the opportunity that exists um, for that change in technology, digitization, um, how data is delivered. I think there's um, there's going to be some really exciting um, growth and change that we're going to see over the next kind of five to 10 years within the healthcare industry. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very, um, I think most individuals like yourself are really excited about the prospect of um, being able to drive some of that change and you know overcoming some of the challenges that will obviously come in the way and and working through those I think it's going to be a really exciting time for anybody who wants to join the industry or or who is in the industry um, working on on these kind of areas at the moment. Excellent now one of the things that we talked about I think in our conversation uh, when we were talking about coming into coming onto the podcast was um, when you joined, obviously, HealthScope. And I think you mentioned you joined at the time um, that we got hit with COVID. Um, so that would have been quite an interesting and challenging time to join. So I thought it'd be great to be able to talk a little bit about what that was like coming into an industry that you'd not worked in before and having to deal with and being faced with something that no one was expecting. Paint a picture of what that was actually like during the time that you joined. Yeah, it was it was an interesting time, and I think several people said to me that it was an interesting career choice to join the health sector uh, in COVID. However, you know, I kind of viewed it as a, a really great opportunity, and I joined in June 2020, so it was just after the first lockdown when we naively thought that we were through COVID. Uh, so I was fully expecting to hit the ground running in the new role. I was going into HealthScope as the interim CIO. So my mandate was to create a new technology strategy off the back of a new corporate strategy. Um, so I was fully expecting to, you know, hit the ground running and be splitting my time between Melbourne and Sydney, which is where the teams are. But the week before I joined, we went back into rolling lockdowns across Melbourne and Sydney. So that meant that I actually didn't get to meet my team in person until February. 2021 so about eight months later yeah I'm sort of about five people that were in Sydney uh everything else was on Zoom Mm -hmm. so the transition was very unique I think and so my role in that CIO role was really split between supporting our COVID response and ensuring our teams had what they needed because we were going through um, quite an extended period of having to stand up Um, clinical teams at short notice within aged care, particularly in Victoria um, and in hospitals that weren't our hospitals. So it was quite a challenge in terms of making sure that the staff had the technology that they needed at the time they needed it, which included, you know, things as simple as trying to find printers to be able to print discharge summaries. And you wouldn't believe it, but there was a shortage of printers in Melbourne. You couldn't find them anywhere because people have brought them all for their home office. (laughs) And even things like iPads as well, which, you know, some of the patient stories are actually quite highly charged and emotional, but, you know, some of the COVID wards that we were standing up, obviously, unfortunately, the patients didn't come out of those wards. And so we were trying to make sure that we had the technology available for people to be able to um, speak to their families and, you know, say their final goodbye. So it still sort of chokes me up a little bit more now when I still think back to that time. But, you know, again, it sort of came back to we really felt like we had a strong purpose at that time and we were really 
helping people when they were vulnerable and really needed it the most. And obviously there was a big focus around looking after team wellbeing as well through that time. And then trying to, you know, also make sure that we were creating our strategy and we were keeping the business moving in the right direction as well. Um, and part of my role at that time was not only the strategy, but building the capability of the leadership team and also standing up the supporting the standing up of the data analytics capability. And all of that was done on Zoom, essentially. Yeah. And um, in terms of um, when you obviously when you initially got this role, there were, you know, there's probably some goals and strategies that you had in mind. Clearly, you had to pivot. How did you prioritise what your focuses were when I suppose in the healthcare sector, really everything is a priority. How did you kind of establish what the what the key kind of priorities and your focuses would be for your teams? Yeah, I think at the at the for the first eight months, it was relatively clear in terms of that operational priority and patient care priority, and and then as a team, we were creating the technology strategy at a very rapid rate in the background, so that we could then deliver on our broader business strategy. At the end of that eight months, I actually transitioned into a slightly different role, which is the role that I have now, which is overseeing the strategic direction and the execution of the broader company strategy, of which the technology strategy sort of feeds into into that. Um, And I think that was probably the point where there was a lot more discussion around prioritisation and everything became a priority. I remember one of the first sessions that we had more broadly across the business strategy, um, we had a list of over 110 projects that all, you know, were deemed to be needed to be delivered now. Clearly, that was never going to happen. So there was a real challenge sitting down working with the exec team and looking at how do we make sure that we have some really clear priorities that we're focusing on the critical projects that are going to give us the value that we need right now um, as we also then, you know, moved through quite an extended period of volatility and business recovery. So I think there was there was some really good guidance and leadership from our CEO at that point. And he was very clear with me in terms of the focus that I needed to have and to almost have a separation between what was happening operationally still be sensitive to what was happening there and the challenges and um, also the, you know, the, the yeah. goal that we were kicking there. But but for me to keep my eye on the strategic delivery because we couldn't afford to come out of that period of volatility and have not progressed our strategy. So I think he was very good in terms of providing that leadership and direction and, and that separation of focus. Yeah, fantastic. And obviously um, when you you know, when we all hit COVID and the, the initial focus was operational. Share with us some of the um, examples of some of, of how you sort of enabled efficiencies or um, operational activities through technology. What were some of those things that you and your team were looking at? Yeah, I think, you know, part of the challenge at the time was also some of the BAU situations could become quite all-consuming. And I think one of the things we needed to be very mindful of was, you know, when you've got a period of volatility and um, some areas of the business that need some attention, there's a risk that everybody shifts their focus to those areas and you sort of, you know, the tip you tip the ship more to one side than it should be. So it was very much about trying to balance the pace of what we were doing to be able to address the operational challenges, but also deliver some of our strategic projects. And I think you know, some of the the strategies and some of the challenges as an industry, 
we've been trying to ride through a period of um, inflation pressure and wage growth, a really tight labour market. Um, you know, it's well publicised in the media that we've got significant workforce shortages in the, the clinical space with nurses, et cetera. And interestingly, when you look at some of the stats, the private hospital market has lost about $2.5 billion in revenue since the beginning of the pandemic, which is largely in overnight admissions, which took a massive hit. And they're only now recovering to the 2019 levels. So we've essentially lost sort of three years of, of business almost. Yeah. And there's also been really significant blockages in the supply chain, which are also starting to ease. And when I, when I talk about the supply chain, I'm talking about people going to their GP when they've got a medical issue, whether it's physical or, or mental, and then that translating into a specialist visit, which then translates into some treatment, either um, outpatient treatment or treatment admitted as a patient. Yeah. And, and those visits are only just recovering as well. So the GP attendance visits are um, recovering now to the pre-COVID levels. Um, and a little bit above, but the specialist visits are still lagging behind that at the moment. So there's been some quite significant headwinds. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's obviously some tailwinds as well in terms of opportunities with yeah. the backlog in the public sector and private health insurance uptake increasing and advances in technology and those kind of things. But I think given all of that, everybody's been feeling the pinch uh, and I think we're probably all focused on similar things. So, you know, it's things like how do we optimise the business? How do we drive efficiency in the way that we're operating so that we can keep the cost base under control while we recover the revenue side of things and maintain profitability? I think the employee value proposition is another area that um, everybody's been really focused on because of that competition for labour, both domestically and internationally, you know, what is your proposition? How do you attract the best people? And then how do you retain them and give them a really good work experience so that they want to work for you? Because the competition is intense, not just in the private sector, but also competing against the public hospital sector as well. And the fact that the workforce shortages are global. So you're all also competing against people trying to recruit our staff from Australia to go and work overseas. Yeah. Um, And I think then the other area, just um, to expand a little bit further around efficiency, it really is around that efficiency and how do we accelerate automation? um, How do we accelerate what we're doing around digitisation? And I think probably the last area that I've also been thinking about in terms of strategies has been around uh, new leadership skills as well. So I think the environment that we're now operating in needs some different leadership skills. So a lot more focus around adaptive leadership where the challenges are really, really murky. They're often things that we haven't had to deal with before. They're systemic problems with no real easy answers. And so solving them requires a different mindset and you need input from multiple areas of the organisation. And then I think like the well-being of teams means that there's increased emphasis around listening skills, empathy, that real kind of enterprise and aligned leadership when you're trying to make prioritisation calls and then truly living to your values as well. So I think there's been a whole whole set of different strategies that are around people, processes, efficiencies, technology, leadership, like the whole kind of kit and caboodle really. 
Yeah. And have there been any um, really, um, really impactful strategies that uh, that you've identified as a, an organization or as a team that you felt are helping you towards recovering from um, COVID, like uh, whether it be automations of processes and systems, technology. Are there any specific sort of examples that you might be able to share with, um, with you know, the listeners in terms of something that's sort of worked really well for you? I think it's been a combination of several things. So, Definitely uh, strategies around automation are showing some really, really promising results now. And that's really helping us in terms of in a couple of different levels, I guess, but on one level, being able to, particularly around automating back-end processes, streamline those processes, increase accuracy. Um, if I think about um, where we've applied some automation in our revenue management processes, uh, that's really important for us from a financial perspective because essentially we're trying to make sure that we're getting the revenue in the door as quickly as possible so that we're we're billing accurately and efficiently. There's no errors in those in, in the way that we're billing and invoicing the private health funds and therefore they're not going to reject those um, claims back to us yeah. to rework. Um, so we're, we're reducing the processing time for those. And then, you know, how we then collect the revenue is also an important process. So that whole sort of revenue management process has been critical in terms of the automation and streamlining to improve our working capital position yeah. and the number of days in that process. And it also has a people impact as well, because when you drive that level of automation, you're removing a number of mundane, administrative, repetitive tasks out of the process for people. And that means that they can... Um, adjust their roles to be focused on more sort of value-added, more rewarding type activities as well. So I think, you know, some of the strategies that we've been deploying have definitely been around efficiency so that we can look at our cost base and our revenue position, but um, but also around the people experience as well. So we've got a really strong people strategy, which is very focused about a number of initiatives around attraction and, and retention and well-being as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's um, that's the key, isn't it, is when you introduce automations, it's not necessarily about removing or, or reducing headcount. It's about um, optimising and, and developing people into, you know, using their skills elsewhere um, yeah. where, where you haven't yet quite automised. Now, in terms of analytics, I know we touched on this as well, but from your perspective, have you, and I know you, you mentioned a lot of your time was spent on on dealing with the responsiveness of the operational side of co- in COVID and then sort of the recovery and working towards that, but maybe share with us a little bit about where you're currently using analytics to help drive decision making and how you're doing that. Yeah, I think for us, it's uh, it's a lot around trying to surface the, the information and data that we have. So, um, a big push in terms of data analytics has been, you know, in the operational space. So to help us to identify um, the tension and the hotspots with um, in in sort of, you know, the hospital operations, if you like, but also where there's some really good news so that where hospitals are performing really, really well, we can understand why and then look at how we replicate that across other sites as well. So, um, you know, that helps to share, you know, the good things that people are doing and then raise everybody up to the same standard. But certainly around identifying um, across the key, you know, KPI areas from an operational perspective, 
and providing that information in a dashboard format to all of our general managers so they know exactly how all those KPIs and metrics are performing and it's pretty much in real time as well. So it means that you can you can make those decisions and take action as and when you need to. So there's lots of areas around kind of bed management, um, our major KPIs, also even down to things like the case mix as well. So a, a lot of focus around understanding the services and procedures that we're offering and how that then aligns back with the clinical strategy and the catchment strategy, which helps us to then work out, well, where do we need to invest? Where do we need to reconsider where we might have unprofitable services and we might need to reconsider what decisions we need to make there or, or where we might even be outcompeted as well um, and what decisions we might need to make in those instances. So very much in the operational space. I think the other area, just linking back to some of the challenges from the industry perspective has been around workforce. We're actually at the end now of um, implementing probably one of our biggest change projects um, in several years, which is around digitising rostering across the hospitals. So moving to one single standard way of scheduling and rostering across the hospitals to make sure we've got the right people with the right skills in the right wards at the right time. Yeah. rather than it being done on whiteboards and Excel spreadsheets and pieces of paper. Um, and linked into that is also time and attendance. So not only digitising the rostering, but also providing more flexibility for staff, so staff experience. So they've now got an app where they can look at their shifts, they can swap shifts, um, so they feel they've got more control over their time and when they're working. Uh, but all of that digitization will create a whole wave of new analytics for us and a whole new way of looking at our workforce optimization. So when it's on paper or a whiteboard, it's very static and then it's essentially deleted and you've got no visibility of it. Whereas having it all in one system, we'll be able to run a lot of analytics across that and understand exactly what the trends are, what some of the behavioral patterns are, where some of the challenges are, um, and we'll be able to continually evolve our, our workforce optimization, which will lead to a better employee experience as well. Yeah, yeah, and and that's um, and that's amazing because I think some of the discussions I've had um, with uh, a lot of the other leaders, we've been talking a lot about the patient experience, but I think the the actual employee experience is is just as critical, um, and and making sure that there's digitization, automation and efficiency improvements in, in that space as well. So thank you so much for sharing sharing that example. I think that's um that's going to provide a lot of insight um, and provide value to a lot of leaders in terms of, you know, like you said, staff optimization, utilization, you know, where you've got gaps or where you've got peaks. And it's I think it's going to provide a whole level of visibility across the workforce. Um, management as well. I think I think it also does have a direct link to patient experience and doctor experience yeah. as well because if you've got the right people in the right place at the right time, you know that's what doctors want. You know we we try and make sure that we're optimising our theatre utilisation um, from an efficiency perspective, but the doctors also want to optimise their time as well, and they get very frustrated if they turn up to perform their theatre list. And, you know, they don't have the right staff or the staff don't have the right skills or they don't have the right equipment. So it, it does directly link to the doctor experience. And then, of course, if, if everything's running seamlessly, then it also means that it's a great patient experience yeah. as well. So the, all, all of it's um, intertwined, really. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's all linked, isn't it, to the um, to the end sort of experience um, for the patients as well, because then you know they the specialists are able to, or you're able to um, allocate specialists and nursing staff to areas where you know there's going to be a demand from a patient perspective. So yeah, no, I think it definitely definitely does um, link link quite well um, with a lot of things that you, you're doing, Tanya. Um, are you, are you able to? Or maybe give us an example of whether you've been able to measure some of the things that you've um, sort of driven and, 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 you know, how are you measuring that? Because we're dealing with people, we're dealing with processes. Um, and as we've, as we've talked about it, everything, a lot of what goes on in the healthcare sector is very manual. How are you, um, what, what things have you got in place to try and sort of measure some of that progress that the technology has enabled? Yeah. And I think. I mean, there's certain areas where we're measuring kind of quantitatively and I guess there's certain areas where we're measuring more anecdotally as well. I think ultimately what the focus on data initiatives has given us is sort of really driving greater visibility of what's happening across the business and helping us to determine what levers we can therefore pull depending on you know, is there a challenge that we're dealing with or is there an opportunity we want to jump on? I guess the challenge for us has been historically we've operated as 40 individual hospitals mm -hmm. and that's very, very challenging and there's obviously a lot of local practices at play, whether that be procurement practices, facility management, the way that the billing and coding process is run. So a lot of what we've been doing is sort of setting up a series of hub and spoke models and combining analytics with new ways of working to try and get um, better visibility of what's happening, but also some more standardised processes across the portfolio. In terms of measurement, I guess, as well as being purpose-driven, we're a very KPI-driven organisation, and that's partly probably down to, you know, the, the mindset and the types of people we've got on the exec team, but also our owners, so we're owned by Brookfield, so private equity owners. And I think, uh, so we, we do a lot of, you know, review and looking at KPI dashboards and scorecards and things like that. Um, all of our strategic initiatives have very clear benefits defined and we're very specific about making sure that they are measurable and can be um, measured and tracked and owned very clearly and we can see there's either a link back to financials or um, whatever major KPI it needs to be yeah. and I think that that level of visibility and measurement has really helped us to be laser focused and a lot more data based around our decision making and actually helped us to narrow in our focus on our strategy at the end of last year so we had quite a broad strategy to start with and once we started to see where we were unlocking value um, and what we needed to achieve over the next kind of three to five years, we very specifically narrowed in into sort of three of the eight areas that we were looking at strategically. But I think it's helped us to be more confident in our decisions, you know, because we've got information and analytics available to us. And based on some of the things that we're seeing through our KPIs, I actually think as an organisation, we're faring a lot better than some of the other hospital groups at the moment with extended volatility. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also um, helps you enable accountability for those different areas. 
because if yeah. you've got, if you've got the data to to prove it or to provide value and insights, it does help to give those groups or departments or functions or areas more accountability around what that looks like and how you can drive improvements or overcome challenges or find opportunities as well. So no, I think it's um yeah, I think it's great and, and really exciting. I think particularly from a patient perspective and some of the listeners and everyone I think has, you know, had um, healthcare at, at some point in their life. I think it's really exciting to see what um you know what the the industry is doing and, and organizations like HealthScope are doing to improve that uh, from a back end but also the way it sort of impacts the front end. So thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for giving us a bit of an insight in what your world was like during COVID and, and the challenges um, and opportunities that it's sort of given um, your organisation as well. And I, I know this is a very broad question, Tanya, and, and you've only worked in this industry for a few years, but where do you see this industry going over the next kind of three to five years and what opportunities do you see are there for us really as a as an industry? Uh, I think clearly there's going to be a rapid advancement in the use of data. I mean, it's it's embryonic at the moment, but I, I you know, talking to my peers, pretty much all of us have got a really robust and ambitious data strategy. And I think it's going to come down to um, connecting and sharing. How do we connect and share some of that data maybe across hospital groups, but also, you know, pairing some of that data with other data sets outside of the health industry as well. I mean, clearly we've got to be very mindful around privacy and and protection, given the sensitivity of the data that we hold. But I think there's a lot of opportunities to think more broadly around how we use data for the good of our patients and, and doctors. I think there's probably going to need to be a stronger integration between organizations data strategies and digital strategies so typically they're seen as separate things and they really need to be brought together and more intertwined rather than rather than being separate because you're not doing one without the other so it's how do you how do you bring data and digital in as more enablers across your business strategy rather than having a series of fragmented strategies from a digital and automation perspective I do think that across the hospital groups, automation is probably moving rapidly towards the number one priority for unlocking value and efficiencies. And, you know, with all the media coverage around generative AI and chat GPT, I mean, that is definitely a topic of conversation at the board level. And, you know, we've got to think through, well, what, how do we, how do we sort of generate the uptake of those kind of tools? For things like employee experience as well as process efficiency and patient experience and how do we build some of that into the strategy and make sure that we're future-proofing what we're doing. Um, and then I think there's still a huge area around digital health that a lot of people are playing with, but in Australia we don't seem to be really going hard with digital health strategies yet. You know, things like wearables, hospital in the home, virtual nursing, the use of AI for rapid analysis, um, you know, one of the things we we looked at and considered a few years ago, but we didn't do anything with it for clinical reasons, was how you could use AI for um, monitoring potential deterioration of patients to see whether AI could actually predict a deterioration faster than a human could do manually. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of different applications that I think the technology can be used for 
It's just, I think for a lot of us, we need to get our mindset out of the operational challenges that we've been dealing with over the last few years and now start to think a lot more strategically and a lot more into the future, into that sort of five-year horizon. And the technology is already here. Like if you think about virtual reality for education and learning for nurses and doctors, um, the technology is already here. It's already in use in the US and Europe. Um, so we've got a lot to learn, I think, from other the other geographical areas. But again, it's probably going to be a challenge in terms of how do we choose the pace of what we do with what we're ready for and what we can afford and what people have the capacity to absorb in terms of the levels of change. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I mean, some of the things that you've mentioned there are are all the things that are are so interesting about this um, sector. But um, look, it's been a really great discussion, Tanya. I've really appreciated your thoughts and insights. Thank you so much for offering to be a guest. um, And I look forward to sharing this with the listeners. Thank you. It's been a great conversation.